Hello and welcome to the Big Finish podcast. Hello there, my name's Benji and I'm joined here by the enigma that is Nicholas Briggs. Ah, oh, yes. Ooh, it's <laughs> again. Uh, Big Finish are the proud purveyors of fine audio drama. But you knew that, didn't you? Doctor Who, Torchwood, Blake Seven, The Survivors. No, not The Survivors. Survivors, David Richardson always tells me off about saying The Omega Fact. I've put just, yes, fact, I've, I've failed. I've fallen apart. Um, <laughs> the Confessions of Dorian Gray. I mean, loads of stuff. That's right, there's countermeasures, dark shadows, graceless, Jago and Lightfoot, and even more. And you can visit us at www.bigfinish.com to find out loads more. <laughs> I thought you were going to add in an extra W then. dot. And there's a new series coming from us, Dan Dare. But more on that story later on. Oh yes, this is very much a Dan Dare podcast. How very dare you. Coming up in a moment, the big finish, Dan Dare news. Yes, only one news item today, Dan Dan Dare. (laughs) That was superb. That was very good. So I I read that uh, as I was going along and and I didn't even think of it in that way. You've just blown my mind. (laughs) And that will be followed uh, wonderfully by the listeners' emails. In which we discuss postage rates and there's a follow-up about Patrick McGowan. Great stuff. And then it will be time for our guest interview. More than one interview as we hear from the cast of the new audio adventures of Dan Dan Dan. <laughs> it never gets old. I love it. I love it. And then it'll be time for the Randomoid Selectatron, where we randomly select a Big Finish archive release and say stuff about it, hopefully in an interesting and exciting, entertaining way. Or no not. guarantees. We'll just, we'll just try our best. Yeah, we'll, we'll muddle on through, as they say. In fact, I need to get up the, the new Selectatron button. I'll do that in a minute. Then it'll be time to let you know about our latest release and rejoin The Prisoner for our second part of our serialisation of the epic and acclaimed reimagining of the classic 1960s television series. Right, time now for the news. Benji's straining some mashed potato through his tights there. Uh, <laughs> yes, I always wear tights for the podcast. It's, uh, oh, thank goodness. Puts me in the mood. Dan Dare is a British science fiction comic book action hero created by artist Frank Hampson and his editor, the Reverend Marcus Morris. Dan Dare first appeared in the Eagle comic story Dan Dare, Pilot of the Future from 1950 to 1967 and was dramatised seven times a week on Radio Luxembourg between 1951 and 1956, described as Biggles in Space. The original incarnation was seen by some as the British equivalent of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. Dan Dare returned in new incarnations to suit new generations in the 1970s in the British weekly 2000 AD, in the 1980s in the relaunched Eagle comic, in the 2000s as an animated series, and as a film project in the works in 2016. New comic strips featuring the original Dan Dare continue to be published in the magazine Spaceship Away! And now you can enjoy brand new audio adventures for Dan Dare as December sees the arrival of this space age hero for the space ages at Big Finish, courtesy of production company B7 Media. The series stars Ed Stoppard as Dan Dare, Jeff McGiven as Digby, and Rad Rawi as Mekon. The first volume, containing three stories, Voyage to Venus, The Red Moon Mystery and Marooned on Mercury, and a disc of extras, is out in December, followed in February by a second volume containing Reign of the Robots, Operation Saturn and Prisoners of Space, along with another bonus disc. Today is Dan Dare Day. Dan, Dan, I won't do it again. So for the next 24 hours, each release can be pre-ordered at ultra low prices. This offer ends midday UK time on Tuesday the 13th of September and the clock's ticking. So apologies if you're listening to this podcast a little late. (laughs) And you can find out more about Dan Dare in our guest star interviews later in this podcast. 
That was the Dan Dare News on Dan Dare Day. Here. Dan, Dan, Dan. <laughs> dan, 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 Dan. Uh, here at Big Finish. Yes, beyond exciting. Time now for listeners' emails. And first up, this is from uh, a chap, actually, who, who emailed in not so long ago, I seem to recall, Anthony Zahetna. Hi, Nick and co-host. That's me in brackets there. <laughs> People don't realise that you're... I think, I think, Benji, you are the official co-host for the podcast from now on, aren't you? Is, is, this, is this an official, an official yeah, yeah. announcement? I'm just oh, giving lovely. you the job now on the podcast. Oh, lovely. Well, it's, 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 it's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to thank my mum and my dad for bringing me into this... I'll get on with the email. Um, <laughs> It's <laughs> getting emotional then. Um, uh, I've just listened to the Kai Owen podcast. The reason why I've never written in about my surname is that you, Nick, are one of the very few people who have been able to pronounce my name correctly, with the correct emphasis on each syllable. Zahetna. <laughs> Sounds like a war chant, that. Zahetna. It actually is a rare thing to do because when I was in Vienna, where the name originates from, and there exists a Zahetna Street. The hotel concierges couldn't manage it. I am mightily impressed. Imagine a Dalek saying, Anthony Zahetna, you will be exterminated. I think that would roll off the ring modulator well. Hint, hint. <laughs> hint, hint, Nick. <laughs> Anthony Zahetna, you will be exterminated. Won that wonderful. That was worth it. Definitely. There's no it. ring modulator with me today, so. That's all right. I've got one on my shelf behind me over there, actually. <laughs> Thanks for making me smile, Anthony Zahetna. Now, at the risk of making this the Anthony Zahetna show, <laughs> Anthony, Anthony wrote in again when he noticed that our postage charges for CDs had changed. And I think it's a really important point for us to address. Dear Big Finish, just wondering if you could discuss the new postage rates in an upcoming podcast. For international orders, I note that there is a £6.50 British pounds per order charge applied in addition to the shipping and handling fees. When did this come into effect? Would you consider waiving the per order charge for pre-orders, bundles or subscriptions only. If a new customer wishes to purchase a single CD, say a fourth Doctor Adventure, it would cost uh, 34 American dollars and 16 British pounds, which is a disincentive to overseas buyers, regards Anthony. Okay, Anthony also sent uh, an additional email uh, in which he raises other specific concerns. That's coming up along with an answer to it, which also covers points raised in this email. But on the general points, uh, this change came into effect a couple of weeks ago. The reason for it is as follows. Big Finish postage charges have remained unchanged for a number of years. However, when we carried out a detailed review of our charges earlier this year, that was uh, uh, Sue Cowley and Ian Atkins did this, we discovered that third-party shipping fees had increased significantly in the intervening years, in particular for international parcels, revealing a substantial deficit which was being covered by funds which could otherwise be spent on new productions. As a result, we've been obliged to adjust our postage model to bring it into line with the service provider costs and amend the way that these costs are calculated in your shopping basket. For UK buyers, we've been able to introduce a postage cap which will benefit anyone making several purchases at the same time. For international shipping, the price increases directly reflect the fees we are charged by DHL and overall are on a par with other CD audiobook shipping fees in the entertainment sector, such as overseas shipping offered by Amazon.co.uk. Now, I've noticed that some of you commenting on my personal Facebook page have disputed that overseas packages are being sent by DHL. Honestly, they are. The reason you don't have any DHL logos on your packages is that they source other service providers to fulfill their shipping needs. So it doesn't always immediately look like it's coming from DHL, but it is. Uh, Anthony's next email raised a specific concern. Dear Big Finish, I am interest, interested in taking out a CD subscription to Series 6 of the Fourth Doctor Adventures. However, I think there is an error with the total pricing, even after accounting for additional overseas postage contributions. There's quite a lot of detail here, folks. Uh, the series of nine CDs costs 65 British pounds. That's 131 40 American dollars uh, plus overseas con contribution of £1.50 British pounds per CD. So nine times £1.50 British pounds equals £13.50. 
plus a new cost per order of £6.50. The total should be uh, £65 British pounds plus £13.50 plus £6.50 equals £85. However, the shipping and handling fees amount to £39 at the checkout, total £104. Where does the additional £19 come from and why is it applied? The newly introduced cost per order without any warning to your loyal customers is poor performance. You could have given us at least a week's warning. I have my main range subscription with you until 2020, though, with the cost of a discounted Fourth Doctor series totaling almost £12 per single CD. It will drive your customers to other retailers uh, like Book Depository or Amazon, where the CDs may cost about £6 each. And then I can take out a digital uh, subscription from you in Australia, about £32, and still come out on top, saving almost £20. Your consideration and attention to your pricing structure for overseas subscription to Series 6 of the Fourth Doctor Adventures would be appreciated. Okay, uh, I had a word with Sue Cowley and she gave me some information. Uh, Postage fees for each subscription and bundle are calculated individually depending on the content included and the postage timeline, that is how many parcels will be shipped. If you are only ordering a bundle or subscription, then the per order fee is not charged as it's already been factored into our price calculations. Wherever the per order fee is applicable, you will see it displayed as a separate line in your shopping basket. The per item costs quoted relate only to individual items added to a basket. Concerning the Fourth Doctor subscription you mentioned, Anthony, there are nine items in this subscription, that is nine parcels. The shipping is £45 for the subscription, so it is set at £5 per release, which is still actually considerably less than the actual cost, whilst admittedly being rather more than the £1 per item we were previously charging. It should also be noted that the additional £6.50 per order fee does not apply if you are only buying a subscription or a bundle, because each is subject to its own specific pricing, as stated before. So, there is no additional £19 here. Also, when the additional per order fee does kick in, it will always display as an additional line in the shopping basket and therefore is always identifiable as such. Uh, the exact fee for shipping per subscription or bundle is now displayed on the summary screen before you add it to your basket, so it is explicit how much is being charged in advance. The note explaining that for subs the price reflects the number of parcels to be sent out over a number of months is also shown on the screen. We've also added a further note on checkout that discount codes don't work on bundles and subscriptions. I hope that covers everything, Anthony. We really don't like having to put these prices up. We really, really don't like it. But when the cost of shipping these items overseas actually ended up costing more than the money we were receiving from customers, so we were effectively selling them at a loss, then we knew we had to do something. I'm very sorry for the lack of warning. But you know, no amount of warning could soften the blow. It would always have been bad timing for someone, so we just decided to get on and do it. But I'd like to apologise to any of you who have been upset by this. I really would. I'm very sorry. But really, the way I see it, we didn't have any choice. I say we were selling them at a loss, but that doesn't even take into account the money spent on the lovely people sending out the packages or indeed the production cost of making the CDs and the productions in the first place. So, you know... Uh, we, we really had to do something about this and we should have done something about it a long time ago. And because it's been left so long, it's been a bit of a big leap. So really sorry, Anthony, and, and to all of you who've been concerned about this, you know, great loyal customers. And I know we've kind of let you down a bit here, but it's, it's a kind of financial reality. OK, over to you, Benji. Lovely jubbly stuff. Uh, thanks for... Do you want a drink of water after that, Nick? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get on with the emails then. This one's from Ian Benson. Uh, Hi, Nick and Co. You mentioned in your latest podcast that a special randomoid selectatron button had been created by a listener. That would be a great idea for the website, and could you get your web gurus to add it? You mentioned that you are very suggestible, so I thought it'd be... <laughs> So I thought I'd like to suggest dropping all of your prices by a fiver. You're a chancer, Ian. You're a chancer. Uh, <laughs> keep keep up the good work, Ian. Yes, yes, I will obey you, Ian. <laughs> uh, it's a good, good try. Yeah. Um, the randomoid selectatron. Since the randomoid selectatron thing has been so popular, uh, you know, we have all been talking about 
doing something like that for the site. Before we, I even did the Randomoids Electrotron thing on the podcast, there had been discussions about something similar uh, on the site. And uh, even though uh, a new site is coming, hopefully before the end of the year, I don't think it'll be included at that point, but it is something we definitely want to do. It's a nice idea sometimes to, to just leap in blind to something, isn't it, sometimes? So I think... I think well, especially be- when there's so much of it, you think you kind of exhaust yourself working out various criteria for choosing something. So a random selection is possibly as good as any. Well, I think, I mean, I've, I've done it before with the, with the Big Finish app where if I've had to travel somewhere and because there's so much and you don't know where to start. So sometimes I literally just do a big scroll on the, the iPhone and then just go for it. And, and yeah. you, you can sometimes discover some nifty little things. I do it with watching Doctor Who DVDs. I just kind of, you know, whiz my finger around on the uh, uh, on the, the shelf and just jab, some, or, or ask my seven-year-old son. That's a that's an easier thing to do. You see, I've I've got the unfortunate. He's very random. I <laughs> I've got the unfortunate one of of I'm terrible um, with with putting things back in the correct boxes. Some people people listening are probably going to start sending me horrible hate mail now and death threats but you i'm just terrible dvds back in the wrong box i do you know what i'm always i'm always in a rush and so i'll take oh it out goodness. and just put it in any box that's lying around so often I'll, I'll i'll you know i'll walk over and say oh really really fancy watching i don't know the space museum i'll open it up really? and inside is like the sontaran experiment and so I'll, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sort of unsure whether <laughs> do i look for the space museum do i dive in with it with a bit of <laughs> a bit of sontaran what do i do it's, it's a difficult one yeah. yeah that's my, that's if anyone can solve this issue for Benji, please write into podcast at bigfinish.com. If you've been affected by the issues raised by Benji, <laughs> you're as mad as he is. <laughs> yes, it's, it's terribly unfortunate. But that's me. That's my mad life. And uh, now I'm going to pass on to the next email, which is from a chap called Alex Pass. See what I did there? <laughs> now, this is an email which straight away, uh, the, the, the title alone uh, tweaked my interest as it says, stop, don't move, or I feel the need to, to say, it, stop, don't move. Stop, um, don't move. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Actually, in fact, I think after the last podcast, me and Nick ended up, when, once we went off air, we, we ended up going on a little... Just started talking about it, so this is even better. So this is from uh, Death to the Daleks. That's what he's referring to. I should add. Oh, definitely Death to the. Well, wonderful story. Okay, so this next one's from my friend uh, Big Al, who's definitely not a gangster, but possibly he's a bit of a geezer. <laughs> um, <laughs> surely the greatest Doctor Who cliffhanger is at the end of part three from the six-part version of the Two Doctors. Basically. <laughs> Jamie and Perry shrug shoulders at one another and then walk off. Thrilling stuff. <laughs> yes, my, my heart skipped a beat at that moment. It really did. Um, it's because it wasn't designed to have cliffhangers, was it? So they just had to des- they just had to randomly put episode endings in. I remember they used to do that as well, like on when it was on UK Gold and stuff like that. They just when the advert breaks come in, and sometimes there was such an anti-climax, but then they'd have the the, the theme sting would come in. So so you know he'd be like. Um, Come on then, uh, come on, Joe. I, I fancy a ham sandwich. <laughs> and you think? Oh. I don't think he ever said that, but, but no, I don't. I, I, I like to think he did. You know. I think the only real sandwiches reference in Doctor Who I can come up with is in the Invasion. You know, the uh, Patrick Chant adventure where where uh, Patrick Chant said, "Oh, look, Jamie, sandwiches," and then they just uh, they just did the seed eating sandwiches. And uh, Fraser Hines said they just added that in to make it more. Like a realistic chat, and it really works because there's some talking about. <laughs> I think I'll tell you the other one actually. Sandwiches was when the master and the doctor are having a, a sword fight, and Pertwee sort of sprawls on the table. And says, you know, I was feel quite peckish after a sword fight, or something like that. Yes, and he has to, you know, consume an entire sandwich during the line, and you just think, oh, don't choke, don't choke. Well, but they, they look like they've been nicely cut, though. They're nice little triangles. Anyway, oh, yes. no, back no, onto no the crust. email. Yes, <laughs> no crusts. Yes, he wasn't a crust man. Um, P.S. I recently watched the first episode of The Crotons with my five-year-old daughter. Who'd have thought a vacuum cleaner hose could be that scary? We never even managed the second part. This from a child who thinks primords are cute. That was in inverted commas, you see. 
very good. It was definitely sounded like inverted commas to me. Oh, thank you. Yes, that, that, that vacuum cleaner thing that comes out at the end of part one of... Uh, the Crojons with the and it just ends with the doctor going, oh, 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 for slightly too long. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now here's here's a cracker. Uh, uh, now on to Shane Dumphy, who wrote in so brilliantly to tell us last podcast that he'd met Patrick McGowan, the prisoner, in uh, 2004 when he unexpectedly sat next to him in a cinema in Ireland. I um, I stalked Shane on Facebook <laughs> and, and begged him to write in with more details. And he has duly delivered. Dear Nick and the team, the second instalment of my all-too-brief encounter with the great Patrick McGowan. First, if you will indulge me a little background. I can remember the first time I encountered the prisoner, and it was right in the middle of the grim, drab 1980s. I was 12 years old, it was September, and I was caught up in all the drudgery of going back to school. i just started in a crumbling, gothic, Roman Catholic edifice, which was also a seminary, and I hated it. My parents were big believers in their children getting a good eight hours every night, so my younger brother and I were always packed off to bed by 9.30 and lights out was at 10. It sounds like a prison. <laughs> uh, this particular Monday night, my brother had dozed off and I was bored with whatever book I was reading under the duvet by torchlight, so I turned on the ancient Philips black-and-white valve-driven TV we had in the corner with the volume down very low so my curfew-breaking activities wouldn't be detected. Mr. Mackay coming to the door. Ah, Fletcher! Uh, the programme that came on that night had already begun when the image solidified, seeming to coalesce out of the individual pixels as if by magic. Oh, I say, Shane. <laughs> on the screen was a man driving a car that looked like a grown-up version of one of the trolleys me and my friends made, only about a hundred times cooler. The chap behind the wheel had a face that looked as if it had been chiselled out of granite. You knew right away that this bloke took rubbish from no one. As soon as the show played on, I realised he was a secret agent of some kind, but not like James Bond's. Somehow he was more real, his world much, much more dangerous. By the time he woke up in the village... I was hooked. I could not have discovered the prisoner at a more appropriate time in my life. Number six was going through exactly what the 12-year-old me was experiencing. My horrible school with its desire to turn spirited young men into worker drones was, in my mind, just like the village, whose purpose was to break number six's resolve. The fact that he would not submit, no matter what they threw at him, made him a huge hero for me. His stoic determination, his insistence that he would never conform, his righteous anger, all these elements made a huge impression. That virtually none of my friends had an, any interest in this ancient piece of TV fare made it all the more compelling. It became my show. When, in a moment almost as surreal as a scene from The Prisoner itself, I found myself sitting next to Patrick McGowan in a cinema about a mile from the house where I had greedily devoured his most iconic role all those years ago, I could scarcely believe my luck. In an even greater stroke of karma, he actually brought up The Prisoner when he tried to explain to my hard-to-impress six-year-old daughter who he was, so I didn't feel quite so much of a nuisance asking him about it. And ask him about it, I did. My first question was as cliched as it gets. What inspired him to create The Prisoner? As I got older, I began to understand the many layers of subtext. The show was, of course, about the establishment trying to crush individualism and free thinking, but it was also about the dangers of technology, about class, about education and miseducation. All of these were very radical and potentially dangerous ideas in the late 1960s. What had driven Pat to follow up the massive hit that was Danger Man with something so out of left field? Pat laughed when I put this to him, telling me that what he really wanted was to make a show that pushed the boundaries. The 1960s were a time of change when the counterculture was clashing with the accepted social order. The civil rights movement had caused massive upheaval in the United States and flower power and psychedelia had opened up mines in the UK. But despite all of this, there was a real desire within governments in the upper echelons of business and industry, even from universities and centres of learning, to put a stop to this social revolution and to keep on churning out more grey men in suits. Number six, Pat told me, was meant to be a man who had been a company drone all his life. A guy who had probably come out of somewhere like Eton, who had been in the army, who had done everything he was meant to do, but had simply reached a point where he'd had enough. He wanted to get off the merry-go-round. Pat loved the idea of change occurring from within, of that single ant in the colony deciding he'd had a bellyful and he wasn't going to play the game anymore. 
and Shane says he remembers that uh, Patrick McGowan said, I wanted him to be an everyman, but by not giving him a name and by keeping his story vague, every person watching could make up their own version of who he really was and where he was coming from and what drove him. I mentioned that as a child, I found the concept of the village quite frightening, the idea of a prison made up to look like a holiday camp. I'd been to Butlins when I was 10, and the parallels were very obvious, <laughs> says Shane. Not me. That's not me criticising Butlins. Pat told me that one of his inspirations for the prisoner was a place in Scotland where real intelligence agents were sent on extended holidays in an attempt to pry information from them. Apparently, these facilities were quite luxurious, and Pat found this particularly disturbing. A gilt-edged torture chamber, he said. How very English. <laughs> I had to mention Rover, of course, which for no reason I've ever been able to discern, I had always found completely terrifying. He told me that Rover was a creation he was particularly proud of. He said that he'd been responsible for the inception, the design, and had overseen the actual building of the prisoner's iconic monster. It went through various forms, Pat said, and there were all sorts of practical reasons why they wouldn't or couldn't work. But I'd been thinking about what Rover was supposed to represent, and Rover was really about fear the amorphous nature of it. I knew in the end, after half a dozen robots and go-karts had crashed or exploded or broken down, and they all looked and sounded awful, that, we want, that what we wanted was something that looked like nothing at all, that was shapeless and moved in a way you didn't expect. He said the meteorological balloons they eventually used caused all sorts of problems when it came to filming. Yes, I heard that uh, they used literally tens of thousands of them because they kept <laughs> bursting. But he loved the effect they created. They really seemed to be living, breathing creatures. I particularly like the fact, by the way, that the reason Rover follows the prisoner when they're filming is that they actually tied it to Patrick McGowan's back with a piece of fishing wire. So he's walking along with it behind him, but it's actually being, it's connect, it's being connect, it's connected to him. Sorry, I just whacked the recorder then. Uh, they really seemed to be living, breathing creatures. He was quite tickled that Rover became almost a bigger, as big a star as him, maybe even bigger once the series was aired. I asked him about his uh, multiple roles as writer, actor, producer and director. Wasn't it all a bit exhausting? He said that he was quite driven in those days and that he knew he was making something really different and special. He said he felt like a child who'd been let loose in a toy shop. I was being allowed to make what I wanted to make and I was working with great actors, great cameramen, brilliant effects guys and they were all doing what I asked them to do. I was absolutely determined to work myself into the ground if it meant we delivered something we could all be proud of. And did he ever get sick of talking about it so long after it was finished and he had moved on to other things? He smiled and patted me on the arm. When it means so much to people, I don't mind at all, he said. I love the idea of all those 12-year-old boys, just like you were, watching it on late-night reruns and discovering it for the first time like buried treasure. And if some of the ideas reach them, if it makes them think and question the world around them, or if it, even if it just gives them a damn good hour of TV, I'm pleased to have been part of it. And that, says Shane, my dear Nick, is about as far as our chat got before the house lights dimmed and we were plunged back into the battle of Pelennor Fields and Patrick McGowan's vision had to make way for Peter Jackson's. It's been a pleasure to share it with you, Bess, which is Shane Dunphy. How about that? That was nice, lovely. That was really lovely, nice. Shane. Yeah. I, I'm going to take your previous suggestion of having some water. <laughs> <laughs> literally. Li quite literally. Part. So hang on a sec. Time now for our guest interviews with the cast of our brand new production, courtesy of B7 Media, of Dan Dare, Pilots of the Future. Dan Dare was Ed Stoppard. It's certainly something that I've enjoyed doing. How big a risk are you prepared to take to get back into space, Colonel Dare? Risk is my job. Audio is coming back with podcasts. I actually spend most of my time, if I'm wandering around the place, um, I listen to podcasts. So I think we're actually, oddly, living in a more uh, audio world than we maybe did 15 or 20 years ago. Ease off, Dare. Ease off. I thought you wanted Kingfisher tested. Not destroyed. You're sitting in five billion pounds of taxpayers' money. 
If there isn't a law against flying like that, there bloody well should be. Digby, Jeff McGiven. I was aware of Dan Dare as a boy, because I'm very old. He was one of the people I read, I looked at in the Eagle, along with all the other, you know, the Bash Street kids and Dennis the Menace. And I was aware of Dan Dare, always, you know, zipping off. And you saved your pocket money to get the comics, and all your mates got them at the same time. Seven years ago, a strange vessel crashed near the military base in Lancashire. It was packed with technology we simply couldn't understand. You know, we're, we're you know, covering tried and tested, um, you know, appealing themes of, you know, um, you know, loyalty and good versus evil and empathy and morals, but interspersed with, you know, action and adventure. You're telling me aliens landed in Lancashire? There she is, Anastasia. That is quite a piece of kid. So, when do I get to pick the rest of my crew? You don't. What? It's just you, me and Peabody. I play Albert Fitzwilliam Digby, a man hewn from vaguely Lancashire granite. Uh, I say vaguely because I'm native Yorkshire, so I have to remember to put in the vowel sounds that say we're on the other side of the Pennines. And Digby is as honest as the day is long. And he has a very interesting first meeting with Dan because he knew Dan as a young'un and knew his father and still, if I'm not giving too much away, he still visits his father who of course is on life support after the great crash. And they start to get on eventually because Dan proves to Digby that he's the, got the right stuff. And Digby is skeptical, sees a glass as half empty, which I find quite sympathetic, um, and is a staunch ally and friend, and is a pleasure to play because he's also funny occasionally, because his bluff, doer, seen it all, not impressed. Digby has been around, he, he says at one point, I've been in most wars of the last 20 years and I've seen everything. And that's a very enjoyable part to play when you're confronted by stick insect people. Because he doesn't regard them as so much alien as somebody you can say, how do? And be interested in them. So he's not, he's not a xenophobe. So I've, it's been an absolute pleasure discovering Digby. How many are out there? For God's sake, just shoot back! Unauthorised presence on the main... Uh, tr I try not to make him a cliché, um, really. Um, and part of that is the writer's job, and thankfully I've been well served in that department. Um, I think a sort of certain amount of self-awareness and you know, trusting your director to encourage you in the right directions. Um, play the truth of it, really. I mean, it's sort of such a kind of hackneyed phrase, but there's, but it, you know, it's, it, it's, um, it works. Uh, yeah, trying to sort of, with all due respect, keep that kind of Roger Moore raised eyebrow. I was actually really, I was reading, um, uh, Dan's eyebrows are apparently described as satanic. I don't even know what that means, satanic eyebrows. Uh, anyway, but I've certainly tried to uh, keep, the, keep the satanism out of my eyebrows when playing him because I think that was probably fine and dandy for the 50s, but it just, just doesn't work with a contemporary audience who has been brought up on more naturalistic drama, really. Um, so, yes, that's really been my approach. I assume from the hovering throne that you're the Mekon. The title is Supreme Leader. And the Mekon, Rad Rawi. I play the Mekon, ruler of the universe. What's he like? Well, he's got a huge brain. He's got such a huge brain. He's, he's so hyper-intelligent that the rest of his body is atrophied, so he, he sort of travels around, he levitates basically, he's got this chair that sort of rises, so he's, 
He never really, his feet never touched the ground because there's nothing there really. <laughs> but it's just one big, huge green head, really. Why don't I just kill them, Supreme Leader? Because that is what a lesser mind would do. He has absolute power, so um, he has confidence in what he says. Although the, there, there are elements about the Mekon, because he's, he, he lives in such a hyper-intelligent sphere, he, he, lacks, he lacks emotional maturity because he hasn't really had to confront his inner sort of emotional... He, he, it's rare that he experiences fear, so when he does experience fear, he becomes a child. More humans will inevitably follow. Plenty of time to kill them later. And Dare the Audio Adventures, coming soon. Big Finish. We love stories. And there you have it. Thanks to the cast and crew of Dan Dare, Pilots of the Future, which I'm in playing, playing a, a small part. Uh, <clears throat> time now for the Randomoid Selectatron. Over to you, Benji. Activating the Randomoid Selectatron, and we have I Davros Corruption. I Davros. Yes, this was set in a, a northern pit village. I Davros. <laughs> It's trouble down pit. All right, aye, uh, Davros, aye. For those of you wondering what's going on, we're randomly selecting a random release from Big Finish's random archive, courtesy of uh, a, a young lady who wrote in, Hannah, I can't remember her surname now, what's her name? Uh, I can tell you straight away, actually. Her name is Hannah Newman. Hannah Newman, yes, thanks, Hannah. She she devised this randomoid selectatron button for us, which we're now using. So, I, Davros, uh, was a brilliant series uh, originated by uh, Gary Russell and Alan Barnes. Alan Barnes, who's uh, still the script editor on the Doctor Who main range. And uh, I remember I, I had no direct involvement in it, only in that I think I played a Thal spy, <laughs> which you like to say. Ronson. <laughs> I didn't play Ronson. It'd <laughs> be so good if you I did was, that. I think I was a Thal spy. Uh, and uh, I think he's the man who gets turned into the first Dalek or something weird like that. I can't remember. Um, uh, no, he'd have to be a Khalid, wouldn't he? Who knows? Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I was there when they were... And of course I did Dalek voices for him. And um, I was there when Gary and Alan were discussing the series. I actually did some video of it. You know, one day we should put that in the documentary. Uh yeah, so it's it's basically the story of the origin of Davros, and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of drama. Here's the trailer. I realized that nothing could be allowed to get in my way. Not friend, not family. Loyalty, integrity, honesty, these were rare commodities in the Khaled city at that time. But as the years passed, I worked my way up into the scientific core and into the science elite. And from there, I was able to make discoveries. Discoveries that would change the destiny of my planet forever. Discoveries that would eventually lead to you. Explain! I once said I would never understand how to play at politics. They discovered this was a lie. And without realizing it, I discovered that by playing one side off against another, true power could be mine. You are not a member of the Council of Twelve, Davros. My son is the most important person on the planet. Practically changing before our eyes. There's definitely mutation. There's a blast ray as devastating as a lightning bolt. This is proper warfare. Complete cellular reconstruction. On your knees, Davros. They are devoted to survival. We were there at the genesis of a species, Sean. Protect the Supremo! Guards, get him away from here! Now! Are you willing to face death? Fine. I absolutely love uh, Idavros. I think it's it's fantastic. I was talking to to a friend of mine the other day because we we were talking about I don't know how we got onto it, but we were talking about the uniforms of the Khaleds in um, Genesis of the Daleks. I don't know why we were. I think, I think only Doctor Who fans can have this sort of, of conversation. Of course, of course. How many windows has the TARDIS got? <laughs> That's uh, definitely. One for Twitter. I've seen I've seen that conversation on Twitter. These things happen. But we were talking about um, the the uniforms and and how 
you know, they, they look so imposing and how NIDA is so imposing. And he said, oh, it'd be so good to sort of find out more about that, just just how, how they lived and, and how, you know, what the setup was. And I was like, well, there's you really need to check out the I Davros stuff because it goes right back to the to the beginning sort of, of, of Davros and how Davros became Davros, really. it's I, I love it for that reason. And actually, one of the other things I, I remember distinctly listening to it at um, Brighton uh, Railway Station, I remember just thinking that the, I'm sure, perhaps I imagined it in, in my little world, I'm sure that some of the sound effects, like the door sound effects, are actually the same door sound effects from Genesis of the Daleks. Oh, I, I expect they would be. That was very, some... and that was a nifty, I like that, because I thought that's that's such, for me, I love the, I love the world around, you know, making a world is important, and so to, to have yeah. that little detail is lovely, in my opinion. And very familiar to the ears of, of Doctor Who fans, because, you know, Genesis of the Daleks is insanely popular with we Doctor Who fans and you know I I rewatch it quite regularly oh. although bizarrely when it was first on I hated it as a teenager really? because it didn't have enough Daleks in it yeah it really upset me I remember going through and calculating because I audio recorded it what the total duration of Dalek scenes was <laughs> in it and I worked out that it was less than 20 minutes of Daleks in a six-part story about the Daleks. I was absolutely apoplectic. <laughs> just absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I remember cross. getting irritated. Um, I remember I just couldn't get my head around the fact that this is the creation of the Daleks and presumably they had their slats, the solar sort of slats yeah. around them. And and then... That annoyed me too. I, was yeah. just like, I just don't understand. And I love the way that they've sort of decided, all oh, right, well... We can't leave the uh, can't leave this city anymore. So, do you fancy a little blue shade and maybe a bit of silver? Yeah, all right. Yeah, it sounds great. I don't know. It, it's it, it's a lot. There are a lot of weird little inconsistencies. But well, I was upset because, of course, you know, I'd read the Dalek comic strips and it was all about yarveling and what have you. You know, creating the Daleks. And I thought, well, was this Davros bloke you've just made up? But of course, all of that is just. Um... You know, those were mould-breaking times, really, because there was then there was the Deadly Assassin, you know, a couple of years later, which com- completely altered the uh, vision of the Time Lords and upset a lot of fans, and, and slightly disgruntled me. But the brilliant thing about Genesis and, and Deadly Assassin is that they are fantastic bits of work. They're beautifully made, you know, for television of that era, and beautifully acted, beautifully written, great morality plays, I think, you know. And they're wonderful, so. I think, as well, for, for introducing new people because yes. I, I, I know quite a few people who kind of shun classic Doctor Who because it's old and they they, they think it's not they, they make the, the usual things of old wobbly sets and, and silly things like that and mm. and but they, they're such wonderfully well crafted bits of drama that I think yeah. I think you it's it's incredibly difficult not at times to, to be sucked in to enjoy them. Yeah. Really, and it's remarkable when you think that you know most of them. I was saying this to uh, uh, name drop Clang to Eric Sayward the other day. You know, when you consider that they were mostly shot a bit like sports coverage. Yeah, no, it's very <laughs> you know, true. Uh, it's very difficult for them to sort of really pull you into the drama in the way that modern TV drama can. You know, where you know the pictures graded beautifully, and you kind of you're looking through strange sparkly filters. They couldn't do any of that. They just had to rely on the words. And the actors, you know, and uh, and just kind of there it was on screen. And the the spirit of all of that is really in I Davros. I'd like to also give a shout out to Stuart Manning, who I think did the covers for I Davros, because I think it's a very radical, different. It's like a sort of strange Soviet propaganda kind of images on the front. And I thought that that's very striking and really, I mean, the whole series is uh, is you know it's very much not like a Doctor Who story. Uh, and and also the design sort of sets it out as something quite different, and and obviously a brilliant performance from Terry Malloy, who's you know one of the most fantastic actors I've ever worked with. He's very rich voice and very creative vocally, just brilliant and so good at bringing so many different layers to Davros, you know, who is essentially a maniac. I was trying to mention something else. Who's <laughs> <laughs> essentially a maniac. <laughs> That's Terry Malloy, not Davros, obviously. <laughs> Hi, Terry. Hi, Terry. Uh, I also like to say, when I was doing uh, Journey's End, that uh, TV episode, or, or the one before, Stolen Earth, I can't remember which it was in, but there, 
there was a whole section in the original script that we actually read out of the read-through that was all about, and it was going to be Julian Bleach without his Davros makeup on. It was all—it was a flashback to the Khaled Thal War. Oh wow! And him in a bunker, and then something terrible happens. There's a terrible accident. A shell lands, and he's horribly disfigured. And there was all the stuff of him sort of transforming into the Davros we know, and having to be in the chair. And I remember thinking, this is amazing. There's no way they've got a the time or the money to do any of this. And and with some smugness, I have to say that I was completely right. <laughs> the whole lot was cut. It would have been a huge. A huge thing to do, really. Yeah. In some ways, and it was just like an aside, and I thought this aside you've written, Russell, is like a movie in itself. <laughs> He's such a brilliant writer, and it was so brilliant to read. And I, I'm so glad that I had the pleasure of reading it, and that Russell T. Davis had the pleasure of writing it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that and I thought, oh, it's very I Davros. This. Well, I'm, I'm really pleased that I Davros has, has popped up. Actually, I think it's a great shout from the Randomoid Selectatron there. Well done, Randomoid. Well done. If it was, let's call him. Let's call him Ran. <laughs> All right, Ran, mate. Well, there we are. There you have it. Time now for the latest releases. Uh, Philip Hinchcliffe presents the Genesis Chamber, starring Tom Baker as the Doctor, with Louise Jameson as Leela, is out now. Here's the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Inscape, our guide and friend. Hear my plea. Save my children. Philip Hinchcliffe presents Doctor Who, The Genesis Chamber. Good morning, Egypt City. Today, we celebrate as President De Rosa Jans renews his pledge to uphold decency and citizenship in our beautiful colony. You brought these in here. Look at her. The girl's no better than a savage. What could be better than a savage? I'm sorry. That identity is not recognized. You are a threat to the colony. What are you, Doctor? Explain yourself. Have you been listening to me? Your village defenses wouldn't stop a current bun. Now get out of my way. Good to find Lena. Warning. All city systems are under attack. Please remain in your seats. Presidential override. Open up! Louio, stop it! We should never have come! You are a Time Lord. You travel through time and relative dimensions in space. You have no right! No right! No right! Doctor, your history is alarming. Big finish. We love stories. What a trailer that was. And next up, we have Doctor Who, Maker of Demons, starring Sylvester McCoy as the Seventh Doctor. And it's out tomorrow, and that's the 13th of September. Here's the trailer. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, Maker of Demons. For too many years, our fleet drifted through space, where hope is coldest and despair best fits. But deliverance came in an unexpected form when a blue box materialized upon the Duke of Milan. Oh. Hmm, your idea of a golden age and mine are pretty different, Professor. This is wrong. Very wrong. What happened here? I, for one, am very grateful for the opportunity to thank you in person, Doctor, for everything you've done for us. Do you hear that? Yeah. What is that? We're detecting tremors. What? No! No! It's too soon. Too soon! Ace, get back here! Oh! oh what is that? It just came up from the ground! It doesn't seem friendly! <laughs> Though it pains me to inform you, it is almost certain that the girl, Ace, is dead. No! Hell is empty, Doctor. And all the devils are here. Aha. Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, The Age of Endurance, starring William Russell and Caroline Ford, is out on the 14th of September. Here's a snippety, snippety, snip, snip, snip of a tease. Well, what do you make of it this time? I don't know. I can barely see anything. 
coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Early Adventures, The Age of Endurance. Sorry, I wasn't being rude. I'm just curious. Curious? Yes. And that's it. All we've got time for. Someone did write in and said the podcasts are getting too long. Sorry. Sorry, we're having too much fun. We're loving it. From now on, we're going to limit ourselves to... To, no adjectives, no no capital letter. I don't know what I'm talking about. Um. I mean, I would just say in my defence that you know this is I'm I'm basically I've committed myself stupidly to producing a program every week. Some people spend a whole week doing that sort of thing on the radio. And I've got a job as executive producer. I'm writing several scripts. I'm doing lots of things as well as this. And what what. The straw that would break the camel's back would be if I had to really strictly edit it down to half an hour. It's actually, you know, I do edit it, as as you probably would realise. But, yeah, cutting it down, leaving it an hour or a bit longer, it actually saves me many hours. and means that I can, you know, write and direct more things. hope that's all right. Well, you can't get enough, and you can always, you know, if you if you find it's boring at times, you can always. There's some nifty things you can do. You can actually, if you get some some players on your computer, you can play things double the speed, <laughs> so you can <laughs> so you can get get it. Does it pitch to, it down though as well? Uh, you can choose whether it does or it doesn't. Yeah, I used to know a guy who did that with films. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, I know said, people uh, and, and he said it all sounds normal, but they just speak twice as fast. I thought, right, why would you want to watch a film like that? He said, well, sometimes I just don't have the time. He was like a, a computer scientist, you know. I love it. Like, I remember spoke to one person. They were like, oh, it means I can get through, like, about two or three films in a day. It's, like, but, but... it's not about getting through them, <laughs> surely. <laughs> Anyway, talking about getting through things, we must get to the end yes, of this podcast. Yes. Benji, what do you have to say? So, it is time for me and Nick to bid our farewell. But before the podcast ends, here is the second part of our serialisation of the first episode of Big Finish's audio reimagining of The Prisoner. And the man himself, played brilliantly by Mark Elsop, is about to wake up in the village. Goodbye. Goodbye. Pardon? Is your number six? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I think you may have got the wrong number. No wrong numbers here. What? Just checking for you. Checking what? Hello? Hello? Who are you? Are, are you there? Verified. Your number is six. Are you from the airport? Oh, damn, I've missed my flight. No flights here. What do you mean, no flights? Putting me through to who? Sorry to mess you about, old chap. I completely understand. You must be totally disorientated. Who is this? No, you must forgive me, number six. I'm never very good at all this. What did you call me? Uh, well, number six, of course. Why, of course. Who are you? Number two. What have you done to my phone? It's got no cord. There's a sort of screen. Ah, oh, it's the very latest thing, old chap. Tell you what, let's have a little chat over breakfast. Come and see me. What do you mean? Well, it isn't very far. It's the green dome. You can't miss it. It's green and dome-shaped. The green? Hello? 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 Mm. Now, you see, that's interesting. He's disorientated and a little tetchy, isn't he? But he still hasn't thought about opening the blinds. Fascinating how the human brain takes so much for granted. Come on, old chap. You can put it together. Go on. Have a sneaky peek out of the window. Go on. You can do it. Ooh, ooh, ooh. There he goes. And yes, 
There it is, number six. Not those dreary office blocks you see every time you look out of your window, but your new home, the village. <laughs> you know, in some ways, this is my favorite bit. Oh, what's the matter with you? Crack a smile, can't you? Hmm? Oh, just go and get the breakfast ready. and make sure you get it right. Check the files. Next. Number six, hmm? What next? I don't, go for the door, go on. Oh, I do love it when they go for the door. Here he goes. And there it is, yes, the door's automatic, number six. Oh, dearie me, is everything so confusing? Poor diddums. Observation suite. Observation suite, operations controller. Number six. He's up and about. Look lively. I want to see his every move, please. Right away, sir. We're tracking him now. Thanks ever so. Nothing like a bit of job satisfaction. It feels like Saturday night at the movies. <laughs> I've a good mind to order in some popcorn. So, what now, number six? Morning. You all right? Why shouldn't I be? I don't know. It's just that you looked a bit, I don't know, puzzled. This door, it opened and closed by itself. Well, they all do that. All the doors? Yeah. All the doors here? In this place? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're new, aren't you? Where is this place? Where am I? In the village. The village. What village? What's it called? Well, just the village. Where's the nearest town? There isn't one. That doesn't make sense. Listen, mate, I've got to get on. Why? What are you doing? Where are you going? The village hall. You work there? Yeah. Look, there's an information point. Information a... point? Yeah, over there. That screen thing? Yeah. Vips. Uh, you can find out anything you need to know. Just... Touch the screen. Be seeing you. You're hurting my arm. What if I don't let you go? What if I make you tell me everything I need to know? Hmm? Please. This is Operations Controller. We yes, yes, I know. He's being a little naughty. Should we take steps to pacify? Don't be so quick off the mark, Operations Controller. Nobody likes a goody two-shoes. Let's give him a bit more leeway. I've got a gut feeling about this one. He may be a killer, but he's not a sociopath. Not yet, anyway. All right. You can go. Oh, oh, thank you. Ah, oh, there you see. All's well. First aid jitters, nothing more than that. He'll get the hang of it. He's just in a bit of a tiz, that's all. Shall I put that in the report, sir? A bit of a tiz? Don't phone me again unless you have something relevant to report. Thank you. You have touched the information point screen. So I have. Yes, you have. You... You can hear me? I can hear you. What? Is this a radio transceiver, or what? This is the village information point screen. Oh. Vips. So you can hear me. Very clever. How have you got this thing rigged up? Where are you? Are you in one of these buildings? Are you nearby? Where can I find you? In answer to your questions, I have not rigged anything up. I am a piece of interactive software. Inter... soft... what? Interactive software. I am here. No, I am not in one of the nearby buildings. You can find me at all village information point screens. Short. Touch the screen again, please. Why? Why not? <sighs> Thank you for touching me, number six. Why are you calling me that? Your identification has been verified. Not by me, it hasn't. You're mistaken. There are no mistakes. The screen shows a three-dimensional holographic map of your current position. Three-dimensional? You're not kidding. How are you doing this? Where would you like to go? 
as far away from here as possible. Very well. As simple as that, is it? The taxi is on its way. Prepare for mobile surveillance. Ah, yes. <laughs> I think we're about to make a little trip. This should prove educational. Taxi, sir. 